The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, the podcast that tried to create a club for the first time of the weekend and might never go back to managing real teams. On the show today, we've got your letters, including how much database is too much database. We've got the community centre and Bordavia, darling. We've got Alex Stewart and the continuation of the FM Challenge. But first and foremost, it's time to get sexy. Yes, a couple of weeks ago we had a crash course in heavy metal football as Jack Joyce taught us how to gag and press. But why press when you can caress? Today we're not turning defence into attack with three passes and a 60-yard sprint. No, we're starting slow, we're building up and we're going touch by touch into a heavenly crescendo. CJ Ransom, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back. Is it me or did it just get hot in here? That was pretty hot, I'll have to say. Absolutely. CJ, for anyone who hasn't (laughs) heard you before, uh, remind us what you do all day at Sports Interactive. So I'm the match AI lead. I'm in charge of making how the tactics work, how a lot of the player roles, movements of players in game, and even things like passing decisions that players make. So I'm... very involved in the tactical side of things. Yeah, CJ is one of the key reasons why FM21 hasn't broken my will to live in the same way that previous <laughs> incarnations of this this game have. Um, and you're the perfect person to have on here. As I, I said in the intro, we, we learned how to gag and press a couple of weeks ago. But but let's go back to something that was that was in fashion sort of five years ago, That that idea of just getting really great players and just letting them go for it with quick fire, short passes, cutting defences open. You you might think, well, well, why play this kind of football? Because it's obviously dangerous. Um, <laughs> but you do it for two reasons. Firstly, because technically accomplished, free-flowing, semi-improvised football is really hard to stop, um, especially when compared with more predictable plans like, you know, knock it up to the big man. But mostly you do it because it looks ace. You do it because there's something really special about looking at the league's passing stats and seeing yourself way out in front. Sexy football always feels like it counts double because you're not just winning, you're winning in style. And, and CJ, sometimes that's actually really important because that's one of the things a board demands of a manager. Yeah, I agree. And it's what I prefer personally, the short passing, um, retaining possession as well. It's my kind of football personally. Certain teams, they do have requirements where they want you to play a certain style. But I think in real life, if your style can win over the board, then sometimes the board can change their mind as well, which is interesting. But the problem with this is, uh, and this is a, a thing we keep going back to, it's not like the older versions of the game. You can't just say, let's do short passing and the team will instantly do it. How long does it take to kind of prepare a team for this kind of football? So it can change depending on the types of players you have or um, even your own managerial experience. But one of the main things for me is starting early. So as early as you can in pre-season, get your tactical plans down, get your team learning your style and how you want to play. The mistake I see lots of people do is they might not make their first tactic until maybe a match a week before their first match sorry so the team doesn't have enough time to learn the style and then it takes even longer into the season to start playing how you want to so it, it can vary but I usually say 
four to six weeks for me feels like a good amount of time for the team to learn my style. We'll we'll come on to training in in a bit, um, but let's first of all look at the the players. Now, obviously, if you've got a team of rock trolls who can run all day and smash things out of the air, that's probably not the sort of squad that you want for for this this kind of no. tactic. What kind of players do you need? Of course, technically proficient players, good on the ball. One of my go tos when signing a midfielder, I always look for vision, I always look for passing, and I always look for decisions because I feel there's a free most important attributes if, that you want from a centre midfielder that will be playing short passes, playing lots of technical passes, especially the uh, vision one, because I really like my player to be able to pick a pass and be able to see see the full picture. So it is dependent on what style you want to play, but if you want to play one of these styles, they're the, they're the key attributes. Uh, one of the things we learned on a previous show was that positioning and off the ball uh, our stats for different kind of players. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that. <laughs> Positioning for defenders off the ball for for attackers. So passing is, is obviously a big thing. Technique is a big thing. Off the ball, vision. Uh, are there any others? Do, do things like concentration and composure kind of play a part in this sort of football? Yeah, the mental attributes play maybe more of a part than people realise. So composure, concentration, decisions, of course, off the ball as well to be in the right pockets to find the space, especially for more of a attacking midfielder. They all, they all come into it and they all, they all help create the player. So if you get a, a midfield free and they all tick those boxes, you're usually onto a good thing. Now let's try and just build a team here. If we were to go for something like a... a- Four three three. Where you've got the three midfielders, one sitting deeper, mm-hmm. um, the the attacking midfielders out on the flank. What kind of player roles are, are we looking for to make it all link up? Well, for me, with the four three three, I think it kind of depends if you want to be the team that's in control of the game and uh, one controlling possession, or if you see yourself a bit more as kind of a counter attacking style. Which doesn't mean you won't have possession. You could say a Gagan press is almost a counter attacking style at times. So I'd go with a deep line playmaker at the base of my midfield to dictate things and start playing, build out of defence. But somebody that has good tackling attributes too, because there are some deep line playmakers in real life and of course reflected in game that are really bad at tackling. They might have maybe tackling eight or tackling 10, but really high passing and they they don't fit my team personally. I, I've found in the past that if you're putting someone in that in, in that place, even if you are playing sexy football, you want someone tall, someone sort of six foot two, six foot three to deal with those big balls over the top. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Some a Sergio Busquets mould, you'd say, would be the would be the perfect type to sit and dictate and stop those long counter attacking balls as well, because you're usually up against a team that's going to try and break quickly against you if you're the one dominating possession. So someone that can cut them out and intercept would be perfect. So we've got a man to sit and spray it. Then generally you look for for a shuttler and an attacker. What kind of roles would you go for? I tend to go for a box to box midfielder because usually the teams I manage are you know further down the down the tree. So you you want you you get more physical stats and technique stats, and a central midfielder with an attacking role to be a sort of Lampard. Um, but but people have different options, don't they? Yeah, I'd say that's probably the safest bet to go with especially for maybe a lower league team where you don't want to overcomplicate things I love a box-to-box midfielder in my teams I always try and fit one into my tactic um so it's a really versatile role a lot of players can play and it can be kind of used alongside other other roles around it to really be um 
effective. One one thing I like to do, if I'm not playing a box-to-box midfielder, I'll play a Carrillero in that position, which behaves similar to a box-to-box midfielder, but they're more, more of a shuttler sideways. So especially if you're playing with a winger that's on attack duty, for instance, that might not be tracking back as quickly as one on support duty or you've got your wing back on attack duty overlapping on that side, having a Carrillero to kind of play the shuttle role, the side midfielder that will kind of fill that gap defensively can really be effective. And this is something we spoke about uh, a few episodes ago when we were looking deeper at tactics, that it's important to to look at the role your player is is, is playing, but also to look at the one behind him and the one to the, yeah. to the side of him as well, because they'll always, for every action, there's a reaction. Tell, tell me about advanced playmakers, because this is one blind spot of, of many, admittedly, blind spots I have with the game. <laughs> uh, tell me how the advanced playmaker rolls and what's the difference between a supporting one and attacking one? So it's actually one of my favourite roles in the game, the advanced playmaker in central midfield. Um, the support duty, generally, they look to stay in the hole. They look to um, sit a bit deeper and spray passes from more of a central position and then maybe make the later runs into the box. Whereas on the tap duty, they play more like a modern number eight you see in the Premier League, almost like a... James Madison, you could say, at Leicester when he played central midfield, where they really tried to dictate the game from the middle and make a lot of forward movements and attacking runs. It can be really effective if it's used in the right team with the right roles around it. Now, the perennial problem with having three in the middle is that it means you probably only got one up front, um, mm-hmm. unless you're playing with wingbacks, obviously. If you're lucky, you'll have someone who's technically brilliant and you can have them as a complete forward and you won't have to worry about the gaps emerging because a player will be clever enough to sort it all out. If you're not, you're, you're stuck in a position really, aren't you, where you either have them as a deep-lying forward who can sort of come back, help out, drag men with them, or an advanced forward who runs the risk of being isolated. Yeah, it's it's totally down to the personnel um, for me, what type of striker you have. I think both can be effective Whichever, whichever type of football you're playing, whether you want to play quick football or short passing. But I always say go for the role that suits your striker the most. So if you have a player that can link up play and they're not maybe the biggest physical presence, but they're good technically, then use them as more of a deep line forward. But if it's the opposite, then um, just go for an advanced forward. Me personally, I think I mentioned before, I like to go with a uh, pressing forward because they do the role of the advanced forward, but you also get the um, off the ball pressing movement from them. And I'm always playing a high press, so it works, worked perfectly for me. On my Create Club game that I talked about in the intro, uh, I'm in Scottish second division uh, with the not nice. all narcissistically named Macton Town, who play at Mac- <laughs> Mactopia Park. Um, and yeah, second division Scottish football, that's pretty low. Um, press. I, I thought about your pressing forward thing and it worked an absolute treat because the only thing the players at that level can do is run um, <laughs> and it's it's been brilliant so definitely check that one out if you're lower down the table just very very briefly to touch on the, the guys on the flanks if you play with two wingers they're going to be quite wide you, know, you would hope um, yeah. and, and it's going to reduce passing options for your attacking midfielders isn't it how can you counter that? So lots of the preset formations or tactical styles, they'll have one inside forward and one winger. That brings a bit of a nice balance as you usually have somebody that can link the play on one side and stay wide on the other. I like to go with an inside forward inverted winger combination. That's probably my personal go-to. And there's no hidden, there's no hidden secret in that. It's just 
I like to have my inside forward both cut inside. Maybe one do a support duty where they look to get on the ball a bit more and then one try and make runs in behind. Something that often gets overlooked is combining your wide roles with your central roles. So uh, inside forward and a Mazzala can link up really well in the half spaces because a Mazzala will move out wider. Or an advanced playmaker and a winger or advanced playmaker and inverted winger they can find themselves in the same kind of number 10 areas and that can create some nice combination plays and some nice movement. So a lot of it is just making putting your right players in the right positions and matching the roles together. A lot of it is trial and error as well. Find out what works with your team, just like real life and real life managers do. But once you find the right balance, you can usually tell. One of the things I've found to be really helpful is when you're on an attack, when you cross the halfway line, press pause and then just look around. If you were the player with the ball, who would you be passing to? Where are your your options? And then do it again, like two seconds later, as he enters the final third. Like, where are the options? Who are the nearest people to him? Because so often you'll press that pause button and you'll look and you'll think, there's nothing he can do. Like he's completely isolated. What are the other ways that you can use the game in order to diagnose the problems that you're having? So we have loads more um, stats options and think thing to look into to kind of see see the analytics side of things the new performance polygons you can see them on the player analyst reports it kind of gives a stat per 90 for each player so it's a lot easier i find to find how your players played game to game and if it was a bad game you can kind of take a look into that and see what was different between that game and another game for instance or if they've had a good game you can see what have they done what have they done here? What's good? Where have they taken shots from? What are the optimal areas for creating chances? There's actually quite a lot you can go into, but I like to use a kind of um, per 90 analyst report you get after the match to look into things. When people come to you with with problems that they're having trying to play this kind of football, what, what are the common things that jump out? Um, the wrong players, I'd say. Somebody might want to play short passing with a midfield that just isn't great at passing, for instance, or not using ball-playing defenders. I mean, they, you don't have to use them, but it does encourage um, your team your team to try build up the back. Or even some team instructions, it sounds obvious, but using player of defence or work, ball into box, or some, even a lower tempo, these things will play into and encourage the type of football that you want to see. So there are ways that you can you can take the wrong players and turn them into the right players, and that's on the training pitch. What kind of routines will help develop players in, in the right direction? Well, of course, the um, passing, passing training it makes a big difference. But if you mix it in with some of the match preparation stuff too, stuff like attacking movement, that's one that I've felt makes a difference and also teamwork uh, making your play, your team cohesion improve and your players understand each other's game a lot better I found that does have a positive effect when I play my matches another thing that people overlook too I just want to touch on is the player's actual familiarity with the tactic it's something that gets overlooked often but if you go on the player profile you can see how familiar they are with the tactic that's being played and if you're somebody that plays two or three different tactics your players might not be as familiar in the roles in certain tactics as you think they might be so it's a good thing to keep an eye on and see where your players are at in terms of understanding how you want to play 
If if you're going to be like this and, and be really dogmatic and say this is the way we're going to play, is it wise sometimes to just start with one tactic and just not not prepare for anything else all the way through preseason to get a greater impact? Um, I know some people that have done that. I like to do two tactics and then add a third maybe later into the season, but that's only because. I like to be prepared. I like to have one kind of defensive and one attacking. But in the past, I have used just the one tactic and it does get the team up to speed quicker. Another thing is always making sure the tactic you want to be playing is set as your primary tactic. I mean, it sounds like an obvious one, but even I've overlooked it in the past. So always making sure you're on top of that will will help your team learn the system quicker. CJ, that's brilliant. Thanks so much for that. We're going to put you in Han Solo-style frozen carbonite um, for about 10 minutes, and then we're going to defrost you just in time for readers' questions. Is that okay? Amazing. Look forward to it. Now, as I believe I have made clear on this series so far, this show is from The Athletic. Now... You don't need me to tell you that The Athletic is a really good thing. It should be a part of your life. So I'm not going to. I say it every week. You deserve a break. What I will say is that there is a new deal on because the Champions League is back and there's no better time to sign up for all of the unrivaled coverage at The Athletic. Until February 25th, new subscribers get a half-price annual subscription that's less than one pound a week for an entire year so that that is a limited time only offer and if you want to redeem it you've got to go to theathletic.com forward slash fm pod that's theathletic.com forward slash fm pod a pound a week for an entire year and you know that makes sense and that's it no hard sell that thing sells itself what do i do with the spare 20 seconds um I'm going to say thank you to ABU645, to Burnabean, and to James Beady for the amazing reviews you left us. Um, I know we've secured our place in the schedule now. You know, we've got season two, we'll probably get season three. But, but quite a few people give up their time to get this show made. And whenever we see one of those reviews, it just means so much just to let us know that people are enjoying it. So thank you. The Football Manager Show Community Centre. Now, I knew that there would be some amazing stuff out there. I knew we were going to get sent some really great stuff. But I did not expect to have my socks blown from my feet within a fortnight of launching this feature. So huge thanks go to the magnificently named FM Llama for alerting me to Michelinio FM, a Swedish blogger who, well, you know how at the top of the show, and, and I will keep talking about them, I, I created a club with, with Macton Town. Michelinio has got into the editor of the game and he's created an entire country. And, and it's so much more than that because he's brought it to life in a way that I just have never, ever seen before. So welcome to Bordavia, the one member of the Soviet Union to say no we're not giving up on communism. Never. You do what you want. This lady's not for turning. It, it's incredible. He's just written and written and written. And he started with the basics. So he designed a flag and then a, a capital city, a major capital city club, the powerful Saska Aransk. But, but he didn't stop there. 
and nor did the community because once people started reading this they wanted to get involved and they wanted to design their own club so there's backstory piled upon backstory piled upon backstory and and once you've read it and this is the best bit of all you can go and play in it because he's made the whole thing downloadable so you can have the choice of whether to take the reins at Aransk or or maybe have a crack at fk puby and um, fm llama who as i say alerted me to this he's in no doubt of why it's so special he said, more than 100 people have sent Michelinio ideas for cities and clubs, all creating their own backstories, many of them writing blogs about the towns and the teams they've invented. People got completely carried away. They started designing club crests and kits. You can even download custom advertising hoardings to go with the Bordavia database. One man has even been recording an album of songs by Bordavia's most famous player. Um, it's one of those things, once it gets rolling like this, you just want to keep looking at it and seeing where, where, it, where it gets to. There are links out already on the Twitter feed, which is FM Pod Athletic, uh, in case you're not already following that. Uh, a good place to start, and I, I've put this out on Twitter as well, is FM Llama's own introduction to Bordavia video on, on YouTube. It's so well made. Honestly, you'll be like me. You'll watch it for 30 seconds and you'll just instinctively hit the subscribe button. But go to uh, michelinofm.com. That's M-I-K-A-E-L-I-N-H-O-F-M.com. michelinofm.com. And just, just go bask in its depths. Now, if you've spotted something amazing out there in the community and you'll have to go some to beat Baldavia, why not do it a great service and nominate it for the community centre? Get it seen by all the people it deserves to be seen by. Just write to me, imacintosh at theathletic.com or on that Twitter account, fmpodathletic. You're listening to The Football Manager Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. All right, it's time for your letters. Producer Abby. What have we got today? Stuart Crawley writes in. After you mentioned next gens being caught in nightclubs, it reminded me of a spell with West Ham in FM20. I won the league, so I had utter board confidence and decided to request that they buy the London Stadium. To my surprise, they actually accepted. But in doing so, they plunged the club into a £1.2 billion debt, for which I was fired. Oh. And all the next gen wonder <laughs> kids were sold off to recoup as much money as possible. Definitely not something I've seen before. And judging by your reaction, CJ, you've not seen that one either. <laughs> I, I have never, I've never had my board agree to actually buy the stadium. That's a, that's a big shame. I'm sorry they, I'm sorry they had to go through that. We are, we are all with you, Stuart. That, that's absolutely outstanding. I've, Good yeah. effort to get them to buy it, though. I mean, that's a positive. I don't know why you try and buy it though, because like the reality of the London Stadium surely is off-putting enough. It's like <laughs> seventy quid a, a week rent or something, isn't it? That's true. Anyway, all right. I no, I've I've never seen that either, and now I'm terrified of asking my board anything. Um, what else have we got? Graham's written in, and uh, Graham wants to know if I took over a team and wanted to promote young players into my first team. If I played them regularly every week or played them every other game, how much difference would there be in their stars? Would it be like a huge half a star over a season between the two? I guess what I just want to know is how much potential could a youngster get per season. So it depends on the actual individual player. One stat that's really key in it, or one attribute, should I say, is determination. Higher determination, the more likely they are to reach their potential and usually the earlier they can reach their potential too. So they're not, there's nothing that 
affect potential more than first team football. So giving them the opportunity in the first team will always make the stars go up quicker than if you were playing them um, less regularly. But it does depend on the actual player more than how much exposure they're getting. So a player with high determination that's got really high potential too, you'll see you'll see more star progression. All Did right. that answer make um, sense? That that did make sense. That did make okay, sense. Okay, I was not sure, but I'm glad I'm glad you was following. <laughs> Um, what else have we got, Abby? Alan Hunter has a really good question here about FM game setup. He says, back in the old days, and I mean back in the days of Mark Kerr leading Real Madrid to consecutive Champions League glories, your choice of setup was simple. Small, medium, large database. Uh, nowadays, a little bit more of an OCD nightmare, he says. Uh, there's almost an unlimited amount of tinkering allowed. So... He wants to know, he wants some advice. What setup do you and your guests use? What's recommended? This is a brilliant question because this is the trap that I get caught in every time I start a new game. Uh, if you're playing in Scotland, you think, oh, I'll just do Scotland, and then it will go really quickly. But it's like, oh, but how will I sell my players to English clubs? I'll, I'll get England involved as well. And then you think, well, actually, that sort of limits the number of players I can have. Maybe I should switch on some of the Scandinavian leagues. And before you know it, you've created a monster. Um, what's the perfect balance? Boring answer, but it does depend on your machine and what your what your system can handle. I'd always say find the right balance on, on, your, on the stars that makes your game run smoothly and then build it around that. For the actual active nations, you only need the nations that you feel you're going to either manage in or buy players from in terms of like regularly through the season. Everything else you can add on to the advanced um, player count. So on the right-hand side where you have the database editor, you can add in nations, add in top divisions. So I like to make build a custom one of maybe the top European countries, a lot of the Europa League countries, um, of players that will want in my game and in my game world. But adding them to the custom setup doesn't mean you have to have the leagues fully loaded. So that's a good way of keeping the overall game size down rather than just adding in all the leagues going because adding in all the leagues like you know add processing time and just make your game run slower so will that mean that i mean say for example i take macton town through the scottish divisions and eventually end up getting the scotland job that if i've got a customized database with certain major leagues it'll mean that when i take scotland to the world cup you can see you can still see the players from yeah all the other countries especially if you um only load say top division clubs at least then you'll have their top division and you'll still have the players coming through another thing when you're playing through your leagues is you can add or remove a league at the end of every season so say if you start a game in lower league scotland and then after four or five seasons, you find yourself in the Premier League. You might want to add in the Premier League, add in the Championship, add in English League One, for instance, and then maybe remove the Scottish lower divisions that you're no longer playing in. So um, I think there's a cutoff date at the end of July. I could be incorrect, but it's just there when the preferences add remove leagues, which you can do during your save game, which is a big, big help. What kind of person would rise up the pyramid and then wipe out the leagues beneath them? Me. Uh, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Bolton Wanderers tried to do this in real life as well, didn't they? <laughs> Got into the Premier League and then voted for uh, a Premier League 2 with no promotion and relegation. <laughs> and uh, it didn't go too well for them. Um, Abby, we've, we've had so many letters. I apologise. This section's 
going going long, so we're, we're going to move book club to to next week just to fit them in. Uh, if you've got mm-hmm. anything you want to ask, do send them to me, uh, imacintosh at theathletic.com or get us on our Twitter account, FM Pod Athletic. Is that it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> My God, I got it accidentally right. Uh, and, and fire those questions in. We're, we're trying to squeeze in as many as we can to clear the backlog. Uh, Abby, we've got time for one more, I think. Dread to think what next week's mailbag's going to be like after sexy football. <laughs> one more, Mike Ray. He has just started his first Newcastle save and he wants to use data to help make uh, coaching decisions, but he's not quite sure what the most useful metrics are, how to call them up, how to interpret them. He's got a bit of American football background here. So, CJ, can you help Mike out? What are some of the key data displays and metrics that you use to break down performance and plan recruitment? So I touched on this earlier post-match per 90 metrics kind of shows you how the players performed after the match and you can use it over the season to compare what are they good at what are they not doing that you want them to see because the whole thing about data is you need to interpret it to fit what you're trying to achieve and if you're trying to achieve short passing football for instance you want to be looking into the data that will tell you what passes are good what passes are bad if you're trying to achieve those of goals from crosses you want to see are your players getting the ball wide what are they doing once they get into the wide areas so a lot of it is trying to see how it matches your tactics to actual data itself and for me I'd say the easiest data to interpret that is either the xg after the match and seeing where your chances are being created and how good those chances are or looking at the um eight core stats post player performance and really taking a look into those and seeing where your players excel and what they're doing good at that's absolutely fantastic thank you abby um thank you cj uh hopefully we'll get you back on the show very very soon but thanks so much for coming to help us out great um i'd love you to send me a match ball for my third appearance (laughs) so i can get my hat trick of appearances we're gonna start producing caps i think and start handing them out i'd like one of those I'd, i'd like one too to be fair The first time I interviewed Neymar, he was 14. He was pretty much famous approaching household name status before he'd even played for the Santos first team. Barca should have been better prepared. They really did not have a contingency plan for if Neymar were to leave. You have the French president, Emmanuel Macron, calling it really good news on the day. Without selling Coutinho for that amount of money, Liverpool's recent history would be very, very different. But then again, Neymar changed the whole dynamic. I'm Adam Leventhal, and this is Beyond the Headline, Neymar, the transfer that changed the world. Over the next three episodes, we will explore Neymar's 222 million euro move from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain, a transfer that changed the game not only because it more than doubled the world transfer record, but explain how the ripple effects made it arguably the most significant transfer in the history of the game. That's Beyond the Headline, available wherever you get your podcasts or get it ad-free via the Athletic app. The Football Manager Bundesliga Challenge. Welcome to the Football Manager Challenge update, deliberately placed at the very end of the show, so you can skip it if you find it all a bit me, me, me. Or, you know, if you just want to save the surprise until the Tuesday update on The Athletic. Now, last time we spoke, the season had begun. Uh, Stuttgart boss Alex Stewart of TIFO was wrestling with his new charges while I was kind of floating serenely towards the upper reaches of the table. Alex, has anything changed? 
Um, no. <laughs> Not really. I'm, I mean, if anything, I'm possibly struggling slightly more. Although I've had a couple of good results, they have done nothing to make me certain of the tactics I'm using. If you've read the last update on The Athletic, you'll have seen that Alex has gone from a sort of 4-3-3 to a sort of 3-4-3. Yeah. And that had initially good results in the in the last update on The Athletic, but, but yesterday did. took a turn. Mm, yeah, very much so. I mean, like, Eintracht Frankfurt beat us. They're good. Hertha Berlin beat us. It was slightly even, but they got one goal. I mean, it's. I think the problem is still fundamentally that I'm not generating enough shots. Even the the 3-0 win against whoever it was, Wolfsburg, um, I think was was from maybe four shots on target. So it's there's not enough of getting bodies forwards, getting shots off. We're still slightly porous in defence because we don't have the quality of players. And so in order to compensate for that, I need to be scoring more. And and I haven't cracked how to do that yet. Um, we're up to the 1st of December in the first season. You're not you're not in a relegation battle, um, but you're no. sort of, you know, lower reaches of mid-table. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is that the, the, the media prediction at the outset was 14th the board's desire is to avoid relegation which i think gives me a certain cushion um because if your expectation is that then you know that kind of position and and some decent results is usually enough to buy you time the problem is this is a good squad but it's a good squad that needs development that needs a bit of time and also in order to get the most out of its two best players gonzalez and and wamangatuka there has to be some sort of tactical balance there that that frees them up to attack properly, but also maintains a defensive solidity. And I I just haven't cracked the balance yet. One thing you have cracked though is set pieces. Well, this is all down to you, isn't it? I mean, you you have been banging the set piece drum uh, for quite some time, and I have to say, I kind of laughed it off as a bit of a, uh, you know. No, I, I don't want to say. I was going to say a, a refuge for people. Who, yeah, but the the point is that I have listened, Ian, and I have learned. And what I have discovered is that long throws and in swinging near post corners with two centre backs running at the far post is really good. Like it just works. I mean, it worked almost immediately uh, once I'd set it up. So I think there's definitely something in that, and. It's it's odd as I, as I've written in in the piece that will be out next week, you know, as somebody who is data driven and somebody who who is interested in the small margins that can be gained from that. It's pretty weird that I've avoided set pieces for as long as I have, because obviously all the smart clubs, Mitchell and Liverpool, that kind of thing, that they are putting a lot of effort into set pieces. So I'm really just catching up with uh, with the people that are uh, you know doing the same sort of approach that I do and everything else. I've actually I've come around the other side now, and um, and this is becoming a trend that I always think of things about ten minutes after we've logged off. But I've been doing the same corners all season long, and I've noticed recently that they're they're just we're making no headway at all. We haven't scored from one in about five or six games. So I think I'm going to have to come up with with something new. I mean, I'm definitely going to have to come up with something new because what was looking like a really amazing season is starting to be derailed. Um, and some of it's my fault for still not being able to get a midfield balance. But some of it, 
we're we're losing players left, right, and centre, and this squad just isn't well built enough to cope. I've lost my new signing Jetro Willems to a broken leg, while the unpronounceable left back Oxpeka, I think, who was his backup, is out for three weeks. I'm reduced to playing Nastasic at fullback. I've had to try and change my tactics to make that work with very very limited success. Danny DeCosta, the human trebuchet, is suspended. So I've basically got one fullback for the entire team, and he's a cripplingly, cripplingly inadequate right back on loan who was so bad in one game that I subbed him on in the 20th minute and subbed him off at half time. <laughs> so you Ali died him. <laughs> we're, we're still, I, I think we're sixth or seventh or something, which which isn't too bad given that we've done a third of the season. Um, but, but it's worrying times. That is the the football manager challenge, the the Bundesliga edition. If you go on the Athletic, you can find three massive articles detailing everything we've done there. They're coming in at about three or four thousand words. We're building up for our own personal novella there. Um, there will be a new one out on Tuesday. Um, but if you follow us on Twitter, you'll you'll find a few updates there as well. Alex. Good luck. Are you are you starting to get that kind of pre-football manager anxiety thing building up? What do you mean starting to? Yeah. I mean, I I, <laughs> I live in that space. Um, yeah, I I suppose um, I'm going to spend a bit of time uh, reading uh, around the subject, um, trying to find some sort of tactic that that works. I've got one or two ideas. I'm considering going to something really quite fundamental to see how that works. So yeah, there, there there will be more tactical changes. Yeah, this is the great thing about an online game, by the way, that that when you're playing on your own, you you tend to plough through these stages until you turn it around, or just switch it off and play Europa Universalis or something. Um, but you can't do that on an online game, and you do get days and days to just agonise over everything, um, which is one of the reasons it's so much fun, and also one of the reasons <laughs> it's the worst thing in my life. Yeah, um, yeah. That is our show. I really hope you enjoyed it. Remember that there's a whole back catalogue of episodes on the feed. They're non-time sensitive, so you can go back as far as you like. It's all still relevant. Your guests today were CJ Ramson and Alex Stewart. Your producer was Abby Patterson. I've been Ian McIntosh. You can follow the show on at FMPodAthletic on Twitter. See you next week. Athletic.